Havila Cunnington, and this is Havila's Podcast. I'm excited that you're tuning in today. You know, this podcast was created by Truth to Table, so I could have a place to share my heart, biblical truth, simple lifestyle leadership, as well as just connect with my table community, my table tribe. So I hope that you'll spend a few minutes with me as we jump in to whatever God has put on my heart this week. And don't forget that you're never too far gone from where God wants to take you. You are loved, you are seen, and he wants to desperately know everything about you. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Let's jump into this. So today I'm so excited to have my friend. Um, I feel like we should say, I want to say family member, but my friend with me, Lisa Bevere, and uh, if you don't know who she is, then clearly you've been living under a rock because Lisa is everywhere. She's a New York Times bestseller, a mom of four boys, married to her husband, John Bevere, who's also a prolific author like herself. And she has grandbabies. Yeah. Babies. Woo! So she's in her house in Colorado. I'm in California. And um, Lisa, thank you for joining me today. I couldn't wait. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> I love you. I wish I could just come knock on your door and like walk in your house. I, I really, like I, it, it feels like there's too much distance between Colorado and California. <laughs> I know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So, okay, before we get started, I want to ask you a question. And this is very serious. But if you could live anywhere in the world and take everything that you love with you, where would you choose to live? Well, I actually know right away, I would go for right outside of Tiramino, Sicily, and I would take my whole family and we would live on like uh, a farm that was working that had like a villa that needed to be restored. And we'd have lemon orchards and a vineyard. That's oh what gosh. You had the most thorough answer to everybody, but I didn't even you know. <laughs> you're Italian actually Italy's been a pretty big a pretty big place to land so I need I, I feel like the Italians are rep, repping well um yeah, everybody but, wants to be Italian it's just funny yeah even if they don't know it even if they don't know it they want to be Italian. <laughs> it's a deep-seated deep longing in <laughs> <laughs> it's so true and I love that you have your boys and you have grandbabies now how many grandbabies do you have now we have four. So we have two grandsons. We have Asher and Augustus. And then we have Sophia and Lizzie. And uh, Lizzie is the wild one. So um, she's, I took her out. <laughs> took her out to J. Crew. <laughs> Just did a little Christmas shopping. And a woman came up to her. And Lizzie's like, why, are you, why is your stomach so big? I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know where to look. I don't know what to do. Just walk away from Lizzie, walk away from the lady. <laughs> she just has no, no sense of anything. Oh my gosh. It was like, because I love food. And she was like, but why is it so big? Take her away right now. I remember Fanning Leaf to tell a story of his daughter where he was walking into a gas station. Um, store and his daughter there's a, a woman that was large larger and she walked through and the the girl the daughter looked at her and she goes you're fat and banning said he just panicked <laughs> a little girl and she says but you're very pretty <laughs> and he's like ah he's like and the woman's like thank you you know obviously they had this little but he said i could not get out of there fast because our kids are so honest my kids ask me if I'm having a baby all the time. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. I, think, I mean, do you think Lizzie's, 
she's been asking a lot of people why they have stomachs for <laughs> yes. feed babies if they're not feeding a baby. She does asking that question. Uh, you know, it is. And I always tell my kids, like, it's it's just because you live there and that's normal. And most women, that's that's normal. So <laughs> Um, okay, so I want to talk a little bit, you know, this whole summit is about empowering people and that's really been your life's work. I mean, you have empowered people in the beginning with books. You wrote a lot of books. And what was your first book that you wrote and how many books have you actually written? I know that's kind of a... Okay, I should know that offhand. <laughs> I, my first book I ever wrote was something called Out of Control and Loving It because that's how I felt in that moment. I had started from out of control and hating it to in control and loving it to in control and hating it. And then finally out of control and loving it. So it was a progression into my mid thirties. And so, yeah, out of control, let me think out of control, uh, true measure woman. You're not what you weigh being, we don't blow it. Kiss the girls. Uh, then I did fight like a girl, Linus arising girls with swords. And then without rival, then story of marriage. Um, my gosh, Lisa. Holy Spirit. No, no, I didn't do Holy Spirit. That's a lie. I think <laughs> 13 with workbooks and stuff. It's either 13 or 14. That's incredible. That is incredible. That's because, because I'm almost 60. I can do that. There's <laughs> a long line. Every three years, I just <laughs> download something. No, what I love about your books is that you tell your story. You're like unashamed to tell your, your highs and your lows. And, you know, I'm curious um, you know, what were some of the battles that you faced early on? Yes. And, um, you know, how did you get through that? Well, I had a couple battles. One of my early battles, actually, I really, I'm hacking out of control and loving it was anger. Uh, I had this, John would say the animals in the neighborhood would go running. <laughs> I would have an anger attack, but like, uh, literally John had to like put me in the garage and lock the door. And I took a hammer to the grill. I was like, no, I am not going to be put in the garage every time I get upset about something. <laughs> so, but I had such an issue of anger and how I had this incredible pattern of making excuses. So I did the it's because I'm Italian. It's because I'm, you know, Sicilian. It's because my parents are divorced and remarried and divorced again. It's because my dad was an alcoholic. I mean, I had this huge long list and uh, God had to really deal with me that as long as I continue to justify it, I was never going to be free. He said to me, what you justify, you buy. You say, I've earned the right to be this way because of what's been done to me. And yeah. I said that all of the time. And it was a real turning point when um, I had my second son, Austin, who, you know, yes. um, <laughs> I had Austin. And, you know, before that, if just one child is so easy. It's like an accessory. You take them out. They behave well. You know, they potty train early. And then I had my second son. And I was like, I've lost my mind. I've lost my mind. I will never brush my teeth before noon again. And I remember... Uh, Addison coming down the stairs and I came up to meet him and I grabbed him and I was just getting ready to slam him into the wall so he would stop getting off his bed so I could stop flunking the test of what did you do all day that John would give me every single day. <laughs> I saw something I'd never seen before. My son was not afraid of what I was going to do. He's afraid of me. And that became this moment in my life where I put him down. He had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't slam him, put him down. I just hit the carpet, started crying. And I said, God, it's not my dad. It's not my mom. It's not witchcraft. It's not demons. It's me. I have a real problem with anger and I don't know how to get free. And I remember I wept and I cried until a stillness settled over me and picked up the phone, called my mom 
and forgave her for some an incident when I was a child. And then together, the two of us said, we're not going to let this continue for another generation. So that was actually the first time I really realized that I had a responsibility. I could, could see a struggle and stop blaming everybody and be stronger because I actually connected myself with humility with God and said, I'm going to submit myself to God. I'm going to resist the devil and he's going to flee. And this thing is not going to continue to have a hold in my life. Wow. So I love that because it's very practical. Like you, you really surrendered. And I love that, that kind of thing of like, I just, you kind of get fed up. And I thought that's very interesting how you kind of got to a point where you're like, I'm fed up. I'm done trying to live with this in my life. I wonder how much we struggle with our own battles because we just let them linger. You know, and have I, I was thinking about what we were going to talk about today, and it reminded me of, you know, when I had the three boys or the two boys, I don't know at what point it was, but I felt over, I felt overwhelmed. And John was traveling pretty much all the time. He'd sometimes be home three or four days a month. And he would leave, you know, I'd take him to the airport, and I'd be like, pray for me, pray for me, pray for us. You know, we were so poor. He would give me like a little envelope. We were doing Dave Ramsey before Dave Ramsey. He'd give me the envelope, like, this is your groceries, your gas. I hope you make it. I'll see you in three weeks, you know, kind of things. And and I remember like he would leave and the air conditioning would blow up or a child would fall and split open their chin or something would fall on their head. It was blessed open or they'd get food poisoning and they'd be vomiting. Yes. And <laughs> would call me from, you know, a ministry trip and be like, so many people got saved and, you know, this is going on. I'm like, I don't want, you know what? I actually don't want to hear it. I don't actually want to hear it because <laughs> as soon as you leave, all mayhem just breaks out. And I remember thinking, he's not praying enough. He's not, you know, whatever. And, and I remember John coming home from a trip and he said, Lisa, am I obeying God to travel and speak? And of course, I hated that question because it always <laughs> was leaning to the next question. And I'm like, yes. And he said, well, then there's grace on us wow. in this season. If there's obedience, there's grace. And I was like, Okay, so what are you saying? Am I doing something wrong? Because like, what am I doing wrong? And he said, Lisa, you're not staying in your authority. And he said, I, I give you, like when I leave, you can't just cower and watch. For the, he said, you actually need to step up and stay in authority and not let these consequences and be overwhelmed with complaining and fear. And because and, I was, and I noticed, I noticed whenever I complained, whatever strength was in that day left. But whenever I had an attitude of worship, wherever I would just play worship music in the house and be like, you know what? God's going to make a way. This is going to be all right. And just have this constant atmosphere of worship. Then the grace of God was there. But I do remember feeling oppression and darkness and I felt like all the witches were like focused in on me and what was going in, probably not a more paying attention, but it felt like this terrible, constant, oppressive onslaught. And I remember the one day, you know, because here was my theory. If you pay attention to spiritual warfare, then it gets darker. That was my mindset. I thought if I ignore them, they'll ignore me. If I don't pay attention to them, they won't. But it's a lie. That's a lie. And a lot of people really fight that same lie, Havilah. They think if I address demonic forces, they're going to get stronger. Well, that's a lie. They're already operating at full force. If you address them, 
you're going to get stronger. You're going to actually stand in the authority of Jesus Christ and be able to speak the word of God. It is risen. It is risen. It, I didn't mean to say it. Written. Written. I'm sorry. Yes. And speaking the word began to shift the atmosphere in my house, change the way I prayed over my children. It wasn't like, oh God, please just let us get through the day. I began to pray prayers of decoration over my children, prayers of uh, enlargement over our lives, prayers of not just, I hope I make it, but you know what? God has a destiny and the same reward of those who go out to war is the same reward of those who stay home and guard the supplies. And I am guarding the children <laughs> and we are not going to be taken hostage or captive. You know, and I just would totally like, I just watched everything shift. Uh, I remember I, Got a little crazy with the anointing oil. I'm pretty sure I was. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I probably only anoint the doors that had indoors and outdoor exits. But I was like, I'm not. I'm not taking any more chances. So I pretty much anointed every single door of our house. <laughs> that any oppressive thing, you have to leave. And, and and my kids were just like running around the house, like our mom's crazy, but she's happy now. So <laughs> whatever it was. But I, I love that you I love that phrase that you said. If you ignore it, it doesn't mean they're gonna get they're, they're going to get less strong. They're at full force. But if you if you actually acknowledge it, you get stronger. And I would agree with that. I think I've definitely bought into that lie at times where because it seems like you can't see it, it's scary. Versus like, no, actually we're made for the good fight. I, I don't I don't think we're used to that. So I, I really love that. Now I'm curious, after all these years of ministry and marriage and kids, and do you still find that you battle? Because I think that's something people want to know. Like, am I ever going to outgrow this battle or am I ever going to get past this battle? Do you find that you still fight stuff? Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have to say <laughs> <laughs> like, like the things that I thought were the big battles in my thirties, I would, I would embrace them. I would say, come into my, wow. house. <laughs> but they, those felt just as intense in that moment as the things that we do now. And, you know, um, just wow. recently our family, we had something happen that just hit us so hard. Um, my son Addison has a cataract and he went in to have a cataract surgery and something happened, something went wrong during the surgery. And his eye started to actually leak the fluid that balances your eye, balances your vision. His vision started to go black. He couldn't see some things. The doctors, like they had to stitch his eye shut, which I can't even imagine the pain. John and I are on our first vacation alone together. It's like the third day into our vacation. We get the phone call and we called a number of friends and prayed and prayed and prayed and you know have a the the his surgeon that did his eye surgery sent him to a retinal specialist and between the time his surgeon sent him overnight to the next place just in that overnight god did a miracle because the surgeon fully expected the retinal specialist to put addison into immediate emergency surgery but whatever happened he was like I'm shocked, but whatever I did, because he doesn't know better, whatever I did worked. And so we had people praying all over. And I, you know, and I literally thought my son is going to lose his vision in his right eye. And I thought, you know what? I lost my vision in my right eye. This curse is not happening on our family. And we just, you know, we just gathered some prayer warriors that we sent the text messages 
and had them stand with us about what we were believing uh, with the word of God. We always fight with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then what we are praying by faith and, you know, he's, he's doing great. He's got just a teeny bit of the cataract left that they're going to remove with uh, a laser. And he doesn't even have to have like any, like any anesthesia anymore. So that was scary. It is scary. And the truth is you're not past that, the past the, you know, the cost, like this is really going to cost us and the struggle and the, you know, it ever faith costs us to go, we're going to believe God, you're going to take care of us. So I, I just, it's encouraging to hear that, that you are not, um, past that, you know, I look at at them different though. You know, I think, Again, you and I've I've had this talk. I mean, I think struggles can be strengthening. That they can knock you out or they can make you stronger. And that's what you're talking about, you know, stronger than the struggle. Well, the struggle actually can be a preparation. Obstacles don't prevent us. They prepare us. And so we need to actually, we talk about a God who works miracles. We talk about a God who works wonders, but we want everything easy. And that's just not the way it happens. And so whenever you ask God, to take more territory, you ask God to have more room in your life, there's going to be a contention because the enemy does not like living, you know, you living a whole lot for God. He does not want you taking territory. He's okay with you being a sweet, nice, passive Christian. But as soon as you start to say, is there not a cause? As soon as you start to say, I care about other people. As soon as you say, I'm going to give generously, I'm going to do something that's going to change other people's lives. You better, you better understand that there's going to be an attack. And a lot of people, they misjudge it. They think the attack means they've done something wrong. And often the attack means you've done something right. And, and, and it, we, just need to, we just need to get it. He wants us to back off. Yeah. He wants us to step back. And we can't. We've got to stand or we've got to take ground. That's just what we do in the church. I've been an ordained minister for the past 20 years, which means I've spent a lot of these years speaking and preaching all around the world. I've loved communicating. I didn't always love communicating. In fact, I wasn't a great communicator, but I've learned throughout the years. And people have asked me, how did you learn to communicate well? How did you learn your message and your life messages? And to be honest, I grew up in an influencer's home. I grew up uh, with a dad who was an ordained minister as well. So each time I needed something or had to grow in an area, I could come home and ask him. And I felt like I kind of got the tricks to the trade on some of these aspects. So a lot of people will come and say, I want I want to be an influencer. I want to have a voice. I feel like I have a message or I, I communicate, but I think there's more I need to grow in. And I can't can't have you move in with my parents, but what I can do is create a course for you. And this course is called the Crash Course to Communication. The object of this course is that those that are investing in themselves to learn how to put together a message, how to deliver a message, how to start uh, growing your influence, it's all in there. But this first course specifically is about preparing a message. So we'll talk all about openings and closings and then everything in the middle, like biblical hooks, illustrations, how to get the main point, making sure that you have the full healthy meal to give those that you are ministering to. It also gives you activation sheets and I'll teach you things that I learned all throughout the years that have helped me. They're kind of my go-tos when it comes to learning to be up in front of people and communicate the heart of God for those around me. 
It doesn't have to actually be all a biblical teaching. Many of us just need to know how to communicate well, and this course would help you do that as well. There's over six hours of teaching, and this can become something that's a part of your library forever. You can reference this every time you have a moment to communicate. All of this will be available to you. And not only that, we'll open up a private group where we can talk to each other and talk about different things that we might be getting stuck in and maybe help each other along the way. I really hope you consider the investment and give yourself a time to learn to prep a message so that your influence on the earth can grow and have a lasting impact. So head over to theinfluencertable.com to find out all the information and to purchase your Crash Course Communication today. And for all of my podcast family members, I have a special discount for you. I'd love to give you 20% off. So when you get to theinfluencertable.com, make sure you enter in the word podcast in the promo code so you can get that 20% off. I really am excited about this and I think you're going to love it. Now we're going to jump right back over to the podcast. I've watched you, you know, we've been friends for now almost, gosh, I want to say four years, three or four years. I've watched you stand as, um, you know, you haven't, sometimes people retreat or they back down or they assume that the fight is over because they're, they're in a season of their life where they want to relax, but you haven't done that. And why, what, what's motivated you to keep that kind of fiery zeal for the things of God? Well, you know, you actually came into my life, the, the path, our paths crossed at actually a really interesting time period. I had just come home from some trips overseas. We had never met. I had just come from Australia and New Zealand and, and Havila, to be honest with you, I had, I was supposed to be off in June. I had to finish up without rival. And so I was like, really? So I finally have time off and, and it's, it was 2015 and I'm like, and I'm going to spend my entire month trying to write a book. And I just thought, you know, maybe I should just step back. And you sent me a word, never even met you. And you said something to this effect. You said the Holy Spirit was telling you that I was trying to take off my camouflage and that it wasn't time. And the Holy Spirit had talked to me before I got that word from you. And he had said, there's a generation of young girls coming up. Don't allow them to push you aside. He said, let them push you up. And he said, they need you to climb higher so that you have perspective. And so I, I was like, all right. And I realized it really wasn't about my comfort. It was really about leaving a well-marked trail for the next generation. It was about um, pioneering and pioneering well, making sure that, that you know, what, what I've done to, to do to take the ground doesn't just stop, but it continues to actually go and have other, have other women come alongside me. And as they, and the younger generation, like your age coming up, you know, and I just started to like watch for you guys intentionally, you reached out to me and you know, I talking to another young, uh, young woman. And I said, you got to find those moms because a lot of them feel like you guys don't want anything to do with them. Sure. You're going to have to tap them on the shoulder and say, I, I need you. Because yep. a lot of the millennials and the early 30s, young 40s, they've said, we're cooler than you guys. We don't need you. And, and there's a lot of older women who have invaluable lessons woven into the fabric of their being that need to be passed on so that we don't have to learn the things hard again. And so for me, it was about, I okay, 
for my spiritual daughters, for my uh, granddaughters, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to press on and understanding that it looks different. You know, John and I both said we're in a season where we're going from stage to stage. That's, that's kind of our mantra. We're going from stage to stage. And what we're going to do is um, it, it looks different, but it is accomplishing the same thing. So um, wanting to, wanting to have other people learn from, our wisdom and also our ridiculousness, our mistakes and our failures. I really love that. Um, and it's true. You know, I think there is a part where um, some of the battles young people face is because they haven't asked the generation what was their, you know, the secret sauce to living powerful. I think there's this kind of hard knock road we're going to have to live through if we don't, if we're not willing to like learn from others. And I feel like with, you know, you and John, you know, even with you and I, when I've, I've called you, sometimes just you're going to make it. And sometimes yeah. it's, it's not your spouse or it's not your kids or that's normal. I mean, just the normalizing life can yeah. be so important, I think, as, as spiritual, you know, as Christians, because we want to know, is it God? Is it myself? Is the devil? And sometimes it's just, it's just normal. You live on the earth yeah. and that's normal. So I, I mean, I'm so grateful for who you've been in my own life. And, you know, I'm not surprised your, your, not your latest, but your second to latest book without rival was a New York Times bestseller. And I think it was interesting. Uh, obviously you're an incredible writer and you, you're, uh, you know, you, your vocabulary and the way you say things, I feel like I could just sit and, and just tweet, tweet, tweet everything you're saying. But oh, I, I'm curious, why do you think Without Rival was such a, it hit such a nerve in our, in our generation and society? What, why do you think it hit such a nerve? Um, I think that there is a deep awareness in this generation that they're called to do something. And yet they have an, uh, uh, a, such a, a, a lack of clarity of what that something is. And so I think when we talk about identity and purpose, a lot of times people will talk about identity outside of purpose or purpose outside of identity, but God actually merges first our identity and then he attaches the purpose to it. And so I feel like when we were able to talk about, hey, you have a identity without rival, which means there is nobody who can take your place. And it's because you serve a God who is without rival. I think if we tied those, the worship of God and the awareness of who you are, because you know whose you are. Yeah. And I think we have a generation trying to figure out what they're called to do, and they don't know who they are. And they're trying to figure out who they are without having a connection with the spirit of God to find out whose they are. And so I think it made those, it tied those things together, identity and purpose. And then I do think that um, for whatever reason, uh, I'm doing three youth conferences this summer, which is hilarious. You are. So, I know. So for whatever reason, I do think uh, there's a lot of younger people that they've lost their connection with their parents. So for, they can hear from their grandparents. So I think it just happened to be a merging of identity, purpose, God's idea, and and just, you know, the fact that I'm a Sicilian grandmother and I threatened to kill them. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's just kind of that thing. And I do think people want to know they're loved uniquely. You know, that, that unique doesn't mean equal. It means yeah. with, I think that really hit a, a level. And I think as a mom, you know, you have, you have four boys and you love each of those boys uniquely. You, you, you can't say, oh, I love this one the most, but you know, you can say, I love this one the most in this area and that one in the most in that area and yeah. that one. 
but you can't quantify. And God is just this amazing father God who loves us uniquely. And he, he weaves us to respond to that. And so I think that that was, I just think that was a strong message that a generation needed. And then the whole idea that we're to be friends uh, to the world, not with the world. I think that people needed to know how to clarify that. What does it mean to be a friend to the world? Well, that's to have empathy. And friends with the world is sympathy. And sympathy, you can never have authority over something you have sympathy towards, which I'm sure you address in Stronger Than the Struggle. You know, you cannot have authority over things that actually you're one with or you're involved in. Yeah, really well said. And I know you're going after that. I know that there's a, a book you're writing. I don't know if you're completely done with your new book. I am. Are you Thank done you with it? Can we, can we yeah. tell them what the name is? Is it out yes. Yeah, yeah. So, you can so Adam It is your newest book. And I feel like I'm more excited about this book than any of your other work. And partly because I think you told me in like a school parking lot, and I couldn't start <laughs> crying as I'm sitting there and, and, and you're telling me about this new book and this new work. Um, and I don't know if you want to share about that at all. I know it's coming, but they'll have to kind of, I, I feel like what I've done is I've kind of missed one of your books in the middle of it all. <laughs> so in the middle of without rival and adamant, which are like seriously intense topics and like, you know, culture shifting, you write a book from your, and I, and this is called Lizzie the Lioness. So I'm assuming this is your granddaughter. It is my granddaughter. It is my granddaughter. It's, it's, uh, yeah. And my whole, my whole purpose with that book, Havla, was so that we could tell a generation that courage happens in community. And often the most courageous thing any of us can do is to ask for help. And so we've got a lot of people saying, be brave, be brave, be brave, but we're not telling them it's okay to ask for help. And so um, I, I did it for well, two but... I wanted I wanted uh, children to know they could ask for help, but here's the thing. Moms are going to be reading that book. And so the mom is going to have to understand that the, the, ch- the son, daughter, they're not going to follow what she says. They're going to follow what she models. And so if she can ask for help, then they're going to believe that she means it's courageous. And, you know, one of the things that um, I've been trying to help moms with is, you know, we, we try to like probe our kids when they come home from school. Like, how was your day? How was your day? Was everybody nice to you? Was anyone nice to you? What happened? And my kids would be like, oh my God, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And they just like duck their heads. And I was like, okay, dinner. And then at dinner, I give them food. How was your day? How was your day? What was your favorite thing about today? And they're like, mom, stop it. So, so, we don't want to do this with you. But then I put them to bed and they'd want to unburden their soul. And I'm like, really? Yes. Really? Wait. Is that? No, this is not the time to unburden your soul. I try to do this at noon. I mean, at, at, like at the afternoon. And then again, it didn't. No, we are not doing this. So here's what happens. I've learned that kids need some processing time. So they need a little bit of, I don't want to talk about it. It's all so fresh. I, I want to, I, I got to do homework. I don't want but before they go to bed, they actually do need to let go of some of these things. But parents are so tired at that point. Uh, so yeah. I, I wrote some questions in there. I've got UPS at my house now. <laughs> in there so that parents could locate, you know, have intentional conversations, locate needs, and then empower their kids. You know, and so in the back, and I've gotten, it's been so I've Praise reports of mom saying, I knew something was troubling my son at school, but he just wouldn't open up. So I think listening to Lizzie, like watching somebody else, then they open up. 
So it was a vehicle to get moms to ask for help and kids to ask for help. And I love it. I definitely have been the mom that's cried through my kids, you know, books <laughs> or like at the end been like, uh, you know, like the night you were born, like one of them was like, I danced the night you were born. I can't remember exactly, but certain of my favorites were, I want to read it because it means something to me. But what's so cool is I was telling you before we got on, I was just in Barnes Noble and saw this book in the kids section feature. And so any, anybody who's, watching this, you can go right to your Barnes & Noble and pick it up in the kids section and, and read it tonight to your kids. And I think that that's just fantastic. Um, and I love that what you are doing because you're leaving us footprints of truth and, and you know, really it's, it is stepping stones to be pow more powerful than our struggle, um, to know who we are in Christ. And, and I honestly can't wait to even read the next books that come out of you. I mean, this Adamant book's gonna be phenomenal as well as just watching you, you know, like you're one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram um, and and or, and just watch what you post and how you're just communicating culture. So I really love that. Well, I hope that really blessed your life. I hope that everything God is trying to get to you, you grabbed a hold of. Again, don't forget to give me a shout out on the socials. I'm there almost every day. And if this podcast really spoke to you, would you consider leaving a review so others can find this podcast and as well as some stars? I hope you have a great day and I'll catch you next time.